this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 16. We are continuing to walk through the fourth gospel And I've entitled this study, Who is Jesus? If you're new today, we've just been walking through the Gospel of John. And beginning in chapter 13 of John, we see the upper room discourse as Jesus is pouring into his disciples in the upper room the night before he goes to the cross and pouring into our lives as well. And we've come to the 16th chapter And primarily in chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. So take your copy of God's Word and let's look at it. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 24 of John 16. So follow along with me as I read. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but... Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We we do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep 
and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Father, we pray that you would take your word now and that the power, by the power of the Spirit, the Helper, that you would help us to understand your word. As we're going to see in this chapter, one of the things that the Helper does is that he helps us understand the Scriptures. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand your word this morning, that you would convict our hearts, draw us closer to you, that you would deepen our love for you and our love for others. Lord, that your Spirit would do a work in our hearts over these next minutes that together that could only be attributed to the work of your Spirit. And so, Lord, would you speak? Just help me to get out of the way so that your Word would be heard in the power of your Spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 2004 thriller, Man on Fire, Denzel Washington plays the role of John Creasy, a, a former CIA operative who has been hired by a wealthy Mexican family as a bodyguard. And in one particular scene, Creasy is trying to help the, this family's nine-year-old daughter, Peta, prepare for a swim meet, and she begins to tell Creasy how tough she is, and he says this. He says, there's no such thing as tough. There is trained, then there's untrained. Now, which are you? Well, Jesus doesn't want his disciples to fall into the category of untrained. And he doesn't want 21st century disciples to fall into that category either. And so the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus is pouring into these guys and preparing them for what is to come and preparing us as well. And so what what do we see here in the 16th chapter? Mainly it's concerned with the work of the Holy Spirit as we've seen. But before that, Jesus gives a warning and it's a warning of the persecution that is to come. He says in verses 1 through 4, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now, this warning of persecution follows what Jesus says about persecution 
in chapter 15. He says there, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, why does Jesus warn them and warn us again and again of persecution? It's to keep us, as verse 1 tells us, to keep us from falling away. Because Jesus knows that we're far more likely to fall away in a time of persecution if we're surprised by persecution. But we should never be surprised when persecution for the name of Christ comes because Jesus warns us of it again and again and again, as does the rest of the Bible. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So, we should not be surprised by persecution when it comes. But we should rejoice in persecution when it comes. Because if we're faithful to Christ in a time of persecution, there is going to be, as Peter says here, a special touch of the Holy Spirit resting upon our lives And more than that, there is going to be reward forever in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, I used to really struggle more years ago with preaching about persecution to American congregations because it seems so remote from anything that we would experience. But, you know, we're really coming to the time in our culture, and increasingly it will be so in the years to come, where if we're faithful to Christ and we're faithful to His Word about what He says about things like sexuality and marriage and a host of other issues... At a minimum, we're going to be sort of marginalized and insulted and might even face loss of job, loss of income, legal ramifications, possibly even jail. I mean, it could happen. So, Jesus says, take the long view. (laughs) Take the long view because... Whatever we have to deal with and whatever we may face in this confused and broken world, we'll only face it for a few years. Take the long view. If we're faithful to Christ 
and to His Word when we're persecuted, we have got a reward coming that is going to be a forever reward in heaven. So Jesus, first of all, warns of persecution. And then He spends the rest of this chapter talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I mean, these guys are troubled on this night. You saw in chapter 14 when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, Jesus says that because He knows their hearts are troubled. Deeply troubled. He says here, sorrow has filled your heart. Why? Because Jesus has told them what's going to happen the next day. He's going to the cross. And He's not going to be... There's going to come a time when He's not going to be with them physically anymore. And so they are deeply troubled. Sorrow has filled their hearts because of this. And, and so part of what Jesus wants to accomplish in the upper room on this night is to reassure them that they are not going to be left alone. Even though He's going to not be with them physically, they are not going to be alone. His Spirit is going to come and be with them. Look at what He says in chapter 14. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And now, in chapter 16, Jesus makes this amazing statement in verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now just let that sink in. Jesus prefaces what He says here in verse 7 by saying, I tell you the truth. Whenever He uses that phrase, He's getting ready to lay something really, really heavy on them. He's saying, let your ears perk up at what I'm about to say. What does he say? He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. How, Jesus? How could it possibly be to our advantage that you're going away? He tells us. He says, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now, the word helper here in Greek is parakletos. And in secular Greek, a parakletos was like an advocate. In fact, you could even translate the word that way. Some translations do. Advocate. A parakletos was someone who would come alongside you in a courtroom situation, as a representative of your friend, your champion, 
your helper, your, your advocate. And see, that's what Jesus had been to these guys throughout his earthly ministry. He had been that to them. Jesus had been the one that they relied on. Jesus had been their helper. Jesus had been their advocate. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going away. I'm not going to physically be with you anymore. That's why they're so troubled. But Jesus is saying, you're not going to be alone. Because why? Because I'm going to send you another. Another. What does he say here in chapter 14 and in, in, in verse 16? He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. Another parakletos. Yes, I'm not going to be with you anymore physically. But I'm going to send another. Another helper. Another advocate who is going to be with you, but without the limitations of a physical body. You're not going to be losing anything because the Holy Spirit is going to be with you and He is going to be in you. It's going to be like me taking up residence in you. And so that's why Jesus says in verse 18, He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Why does he say that? Because as Colossians 1.27 says, the Holy Spirit is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And so, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I'm going away. Because if I don't, the Helper is not going to come. Now that happened at Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. But many Christians do not understand His work. They ignore the presence of the Spirit. They live the Christian life as if the Spirit does not exist. They don't, they don't make any reference to the Spirit. They don't think about the presence of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book a few years ago about the Holy Spirit that he entitled Forgotten God. Too many Christians forget the third person of the Trinity. They're trying to live the Christian life, ignoring the Spirit. And many other Christians misunderstand the work of the Spirit. Or maybe they even run from the work of the Spirit because they've seen a lot of abusive things done in the name of the Spirit. A lot of abusive or manipulative things done in the name of the Spirit. They turn on their TVs and they see the Benny Hens of the world doing a lot of nonsense in the name of the Holy Spirit. And they say, you know, I don't want any part of that. And they think that the work of the Holy Spirit is about bad doctrine and bad hairdos. But the thing that we need to do is not run from the Holy Spirit because certain people are abusing or doing abusive things in the name of the Spirit. What we need to do is understand the biblical work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the balance of this chapter. He's talking about how the Helper helps us. 
First of all, Jesus talks about how the Helper helps us in evangelism. In evangelism. Verses 8 through 11. Jesus says, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in Me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus says that the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Listen, what has to happen for somebody to be saved? Their hearts have to be convicted, right? It's the only way. Their hearts have to be convicted. Well, can you do that? Can I do that? Can we convict anybody's heart of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Who does that? The Holy Spirit does that. And see... What we have to understand when it comes to evangelism is our role and the Spirit's role. Okay, our role is to proclaim the Gospel. Just share the Gospel with people. Proclaim the good news. That's our role. It's the Holy Spirit's role to convict the hearts of people. To open the hearts of people. And I think one of the biggest reasons why a lot of Christians are reluctant to share their faith in Christ. In fact, I believe one of the biggest reasons that some of you are not actively sharing your faith in Christ is because you think you've got to do too much. You're confusing the role of the Spirit with with your role. And you think that in order to witness to people, you've got to be super articulate and you've got to have this some long outline memorized or whatever, and you can't mess up, you know. I mean, if you mess up, then uh, the person might not be saved. And, and so you think you've got to, have all, you've got to get all this stuff exactly right and know this outline or whatever, and, you know, you've got to close the deal at the end, and you've got to get the person to say a prayer and on and on and on. And you're thinking of, of evangelism as all of that. Friends, listen. All we, ha- all we have to do is share Christ. That's our, that's our role. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts the hearts of people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You know, and I think a lot of Christians are putting far more pressure on themselves when it comes to evangelism because really what God has told us to do is, sh- is share the gospel. Share the good news and let the Holy Spirit work in the heart's of people. I think Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said it best when he said it's about sharing Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. We've got to get, know our role and we've got to know the Holy Spirit's role. Now, in Acts chapter 16, we see a beautiful example of this. Because in Acts 16, Paul and Luke go to the city of Philippi and Luke tells us what happens there. It says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, which means that she was a Gentile who had come to believe in the one true God of Israel, but she was not yet a Christian, but she became one. 
because the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now notice who does what in this evangelistic encounter. Uh, What do Paul and Luke do? What do they do? They speak the message. They speak to these women about the gospel. What does the Holy Spirit do? He opens Lydia's heart to respond. Did he open everybody's heart to respond? There were other people that were there as well. It doesn't say that. Not everybody that the Apostle Paul shared Christ with was, had their hearts opened by the Holy Spirit. Not everybody that we witness to is going to respond immediately either. Okay, but that's, we, can't, we can't control that. What we can control is sharing Christ with people. We don't control the work of the Spirit. I mean, Jesus says in John 3, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We can't control the work of the Holy Spirit any more than we can control the wind. What we can control is how often we share Christ with people. And the Bible says we're to share it as often and as widely as we possibly can. It's just like sowing seed. The more you sow the seed, the more you're going to reap in the end. And so when it comes to sharing the gospel, we're to broadcast that seed as often as as possible, as widely as possible. That's our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel. But we can't open the hearts of people. To respond. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. But see, I want you to be free. I want you to feel liberated. I want you to feel freed up to share the gospel with your lost family members and your lost friends and the people that you go to school with and the people in your sphere of influence. I want you to feel free to share the gospel with them, the good news with them, without without all this excess baggage and thinking, you know, that it all depends on your ability to have all your words right and, and have, you know, ha- have some outline you, you memorized and all, all that. And, you know, you've, you know you, you've got to get them to pray a prayer at the end. I mean, just, if, if you, just back off of all of that and just do what the Bible says. Share the good news of the gospel with people. Share what Christ has done in your own, for, for you and what He can do for somebody else. And let the Holy Spirit convict hearts. Understand your role, understand the Spirit's role. So he, Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. Second, He talks about the work of the Helper in helping us understand the Scriptures. Verses 12 and following, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. See, Jesus knows that on this night, these guys are like trying to drink water from a fire hydrant. 
I mean, this upper room discourse lasts for five chapters. And at this point, they're troubled. They're going to fall away by the end of the night, temporarily. They're confused. They're troubled. Jesus knows they can't possibly remember all of this, let alone the stuff that he's told them for three years prior to this, without supernatural help. But Jesus says that supernatural help is coming. The Spirit is coming. And when He comes, He's going to remind you of everything that I've said. And furthermore, He's going to lead some of you to write it down. And so we have the advantage of being able to open up our Bibles and see the full revelation of God there and and study it and dig into it. And the Spirit uses it to change our lives. Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now again, we we need to understand our role and understand the role of the Holy Spirit in understanding the Scriptures. You know what? The Holy Spirit is not going to open your Bible and read it for you. What the Holy Spirit will do, if you take the initiative to open your Bible with a prayerful heart, what the Holy Spirit will do is help you understand it and speak to your heart and change your life through it. But too many Christians say they believe the Bible, but they don't really read the Bible. They don't really study the Bible. I mean, for them, it's inspired, inerrant, and unread. I hope you're not in that category. The Spirit helps us to understand the Scriptures. Third, Jesus talks about the fact that the Spirit gives us joy. He gives us joy. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus is talking about the sorrow that they're going to experience the next day. If their sorrow is intense on this night, it's going to get far worse. Because Jesus is headed to a cross within hours, and He's going to be brutally murdered as brutally as a human being can be murdered. And they're going to be filled with sorrow, and the world is going to be rejoicing on Friday, but Sunday was coming. And Jesus says, when Sunday comes and when I'm raised from the dead, as intense and as painful as the sorrow is that you're going to feel in these next hours, the joy that you're going to feel is going to be so intense, it's just going to completely overwhelm and drown out the sorrow. And then Jesus uses this analogy from childbirth. He says when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now having been at the bedside when three children were brought into the world, all I can say is I'm glad God created me to be a man. Okay, because I'm not man enough to be a woman. 
giving birth. But what mom would not say, no matter how painful the process of delivery was, what mom would not say, even if she still feels pain, physical pain, and is going to feel physical pain for weeks to come, what mom would not say that her pain was not just completely overwhelmed by joy when she held that newborn for the first time. And Jesus said, that's the way it's going to be. You know, as, in, as intense as your pain is going to be in these next hours when you see what they're going to do to me, your joy upon my resurrection is just going to be so overwhelming. It's going to just swallow up whatever pain you experienced. He says in verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And of course, we don't, we don't see Jesus physically raised from the dead the way that these guys were going to see him but we experience the risen Christ when we meet Him. And Peter tells us what that's like. He says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And then in verses 23 and 24, Jesus links this joy of the Holy Spirit with prayer. He says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now, you have you ask nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've noticed in the past couple of years especially when I call like a really big company for something, most of the time, instead of getting a human voice on the other end, you get a recorded voice and it's a phone tree. Don't you hate it when that happens? And, you know, instead of getting an answer to whatever your question was, you're just told to push more buttons. And that pushes my buttons when they do that. And, and so it, it sends you from department to department and from branch to branch on the tree. And half the time you end up getting cut off somewhere in the process. Listen, Jesus says that as a child of God, you have instant, direct, immediate access to a Father who loves you and who knows exactly what you need. And even when you don't even know exactly how to pray, Romans 8 says the Spirit intercedes for us according to the perfect will of God. Now what does Jesus mean when he says that we pray in his name? It means more than tacking the name of Jesus onto the end of a prayer it means that we truly belong to Jesus, for one thing. We truly belong to Him. We know Him. And it means that when we pray, that we're asking for things that Jesus would want. 
for things that are consistent with his character and his priorities. And his priority was the glory of God. So when you pray, you know, are you, are you praying for things that are consistent with the character of Christ? Do you belong to him, first of all? Do you know him? Are you asking for things that he would want that are consistent with who he is and with God's glory? Well, if so, then ask. <laughs> ask. Ask boldly. Ask in faith because you have a Father who delights in giving. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus says in verse 24, Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And he Wright says this about that promise. He says the greatest Christians of old, if we can ever rank them, were people who took promises like this at face value and were humble enough to believe them. It's really a form of pride that stops us accepting an offer as gracious as this. The throne room door is open. Why not go in and talk to the Father or yourself? Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. And we thank you that that throne room door is open, that that curtain has been torn in two as we sung earlier. We thank you that we can come to you not because of any merit or righteousness of our own, but we can come to you through the perfect righteousness and the merits of our Savior. We can come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone here today who came into this room not really knowing Jesus. Lord, would you open their hearts to respond to the good news of the gospel? Would you open their eyes, their hearts to see who Jesus is and to trust him? to trust in His finished work on the cross. Father, for believers here today, for people who came into this room already knowing You, Lord, we want to know You better. We want our love for You to be increased. We want our love for other people to be increased. Lord, would You work in our hearts? Would you change us by your Spirit? Lord, help us, to, help us when it comes to evangelism to take the initiative to share the good news of the Gospel with people. Why would we ever be reluctant to share good news with others? Lord, help us to, to bring your good news to others, just as many people as we possibly can, and understand that that's our role we leave the results to you. We, 
We pray, Father, that when it comes to understanding the Scriptures, that we will take the initiative to take up our Bibles and read them and pour into them prayerfully, actively, daily, and and asking Your Spirit to, to change our hearts and lives through Your Word. Lord, when it comes to prayer, Lord, may we take the initiative to ask, to ask, to come before You, to pour out hearts and needs and bring them before Your throne of grace. That's, that's our role. Your role is to answer. And that's something that You delight in doing. Lord, make us people of prayer. Make us people of Your Word. Lord, make us truly evangelistic people. Father, would you do that on an individual basis? And Lord, would you do that in this church? Lord, make us truly an evangelistic church. A church where an army of people is going out into this community, into workplaces and schools, and into the circle of influence, the family and friends that you've given us, And that, Lord, You would open up our lips to declare Your praise and the good news of the Gospel. Lord, make us a church that places ourselves beneath the Scriptures. A church that is Bible-saturated. Where we eat and drink and sleep the Scriptures. And where we place our lives beneath the authority of Your Word. So that as Spurgeon says, our blood just runs bibbling. Father, make us people of prayer. Make this a praying church. Lord, deliver us from the pride of thinking that we can do anything on our own. Apart from You, we can do nothing. Lord, make us prayerful people. Just coming before You and, and to Your throne of grace just bringing the needs that are there and seeing You answer prayer that our joy may be full. Lord, would You do that in the hearts of Your people and and collectively in the life of this church. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here today and God is speaking to your heart about trusting in Christ, as your Savior. You know, Jesus tells us to go public with that. He was crucified for us publicly. He calls us to stand for Him publicly. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If you're giving your life to Christ, we want to invite you to come. If you're here and and you say, I want to be a part of this church family, we want to invite you to come. If you're here today and you just need to pray with someone, you're invited to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. 
but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together. Thank you.